1: This is Issues 2017. I'm Steve McIntosh, and our guest is Karen Schmidt, Executive Director, Wichita Women's Initiative Network. Welcome to Issues 2017.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: I like to start with the very basics. What is the network? Tell me about it.
0: Okay, so Women's Initiative Network, or WIN, because that's easier to say, is a nonprofit that helps uh, survivors of domestic abuse so the women in our program have left their abuser, and they're working to get their lives in a different direction. So we just help them become independent, both financially and emotionally, so that they can hopefully break that cycle of domestic violence for their family.
1: Now, the network's been around, as I, as I understand, about 20 years. How did, it, how did it start? Tell us a little history about the network.
0: Well, in 1996, there were two nuns who were educators. One of them was associated with the Adorers of the Blood of Christ, um, and they were both at Newman University. At Newman, yeah, right. Yes. Okay. So they did a needs assessment um, on services for survivors of domestic abuse. And what they found was that when women were leaving the shelters after about four to six weeks, they were returning to their abusers often because they couldn't financially make it on their own. And the four to six weeks at the shelters just wasn't enough to get to that place. So they came up with the program for WIN and the model to help um, the women get to that place where they could be emotionally um, independent. And since they were both educators, they felt like education was a big piece of that. So that's why part of the WIN program was helping the women improve their education and then along with proving their um, employability skills so that they'd be better set to support themselves.
1: Now, do you have a mission statement?
0: We do, yes. Um, It is that we are a nonprofit collaborative endeavor serving women survivors of domestic abuse with employment and Educational opportunities, fostering healing, and self sufficiency.
1: That was a test.
0: Uh huh. To see if you had it
1: memorized, you know. uh, How is the work funded? Who pays for this?
0: Well, uh, a lot of different avenues. We do receive some of our funding from United Way. We have a development director who writes grants, and so we receive money through grants, of course, donations. Mm -hmm. Um, oh yes, those. Yes, yeah, of course. That's helpful. Um, we also just recently incorporated into our program um, bringing projects for our clients to do in our in the workplace, and we do charge a little bit for that. So the fees we charge for that help offset the wages a little bit. Um, and then we usually have a annual fundraiser every year.
1: Do you? Uh Is is, uh, an organization with a a great big staff of about 30 or 40 people in a big office building?
0: No, uh, (laughs) I wish.
1: (laughs) How do you operate physically?
0: We have uh, four full-time and one part-time staff. And um, we are actually in a building that the Adorers of the Blood of Christ own downtown. So we share that building with another nonprofit. And the Adorers are just really generous and, you know, let us— have that office space for a lot less rent than what we'd pay somewhere else, so yeah. that that's a big help to us. But um, we can serve up to twelve women at a time in our program, so we're not huge, but we feel like we make a huge difference in just a few women's lives, and and that's worth it.
1: You uh, recently celebrated a twentieth anniversary of the yes. network. Tell yes. us about that, about the celebrating.
0: So uh, actually, it was last Friday, Friday the 13th, which we decided, you know, hey, the 13th is going to be a lucky day for women. So (laughs) we chose that day. So we began that day with an open house in the morning at our office. Um, We just recently painted the walls. We had a volunteer artist come in and do a mural on one of the walls that just kind of depicted what the women go through coming out of their relationships. And we had kind of revamped our program model. So we did an open house in the morning. And then in the evening, we had a a party celebration at the boathouse and had a band and food and drinks and auction items. And it was just a really fun time. It
1: sounds like a lot of fun. It was. Mm. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. One of the reasons we're having you on, Karen, frankly. But uh, what's the first thing that our listeners should know about domestic violence? What's number one?
0: Well, the first thing I would like for them to know yes. is that um, even though you may not hear about it very often or you think you may not know someone who has experienced it, it is a lot bigger issue um, in the United States and here in Wichita than most people know. And it affects you know every race, every gender, every socioeconomic um, class. There's, there's really no one that it doesn't affect. So just to know that it is really a big issue that we really do need to be addressing.
1: Can you give us some facts and figures on this problem locally or, or nationally?
0: Um, I can. I heard
1: something like one in four or one in si- One
0: in four, one in three, it kind of depends which study you look at. Um, right. Women experience it, and one in seven men. And I know we don't talk about men being um, victims very often, but it does happen. Um, so, yeah, one in three women, one in seven men. And then um, I did look up some statistics for um, Cedric County yeah, in Wichita. Yeah. So um, the most recent statistics they have are 2015. So in 2015, um, there's a, a, cli- a crime clock. And so that clock shows that... Um, One domestic violence incident occurred every 23 minutes. Uh, Law enforcement made one domestic violence arrest every 45 minutes. And one domestic violence murder occurred every 12 days in 2015.
1: Wow. Yes. That was here in Cedric County? Um, That's in Kansas. In Kansas. In Kansas. In Kansas.
0: And then Uh, here in Wichita, in 2015, the uh, Wichita Police Department uh, reported 6,598 incidences of domestic violence. And from those um, incidences, they made 2,978 arrests in 2015. And also in Sedgwick County, there were 2,416 protection from abuse orders filed in 2015.
1: All right. So that that tells us it's a pretty, pretty big problem then. And I know that uh, when we go down to the police department for our daily briefings, that uh, the DVs are a lot of a lot of reports on there. Yes. Can you uh, you share the the local numbers? Any national numbers that you can share? Is, uh, or is, or is we want to stick with local?
0: Um, so. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't right. look up the national, other That's than a, you know the one in three okay. um, women.
1: Again, it's one in three women and one in seven, seven. men, uh, who are uh, most often victims of DV. Uh, you say you probably women, but there are men. Tell Most us about the victims. Most often
0: women, right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like I said, it it doesn't really um, miss anyone. I mean, all socioeconomic gr- groups, the majority of um, the victims that seek services are from, like, the lower socioeconomic class. And, I think that's just because they have less resources, they have less, you know, family and support than someone from an an upper um, socioeconomic class. And I think too, just the stigma of, you know, letting people know that you're a victim. um, Sometimes that keeps women from telling anyone. So you know, these numbers are just what we know. There are other numbers that women who don't ever tell anyone. Mm -mm. But, you know, a lot of our clients are um, the ones that don't have family that are supportive. So when they do leave, they really don't have anywhere to go. And so they really do need, you know, programs like WIN and -hmm. the other programs in Wichita that help them.
1: What help? What what kind of services does the network provide then?
0: Um, Well... Mm -hmm. We get a lot of referrals from the shelters, so there's oh, two, okay. two shelters in Wichita where women can go when they first leave their abuser and they need a safe, you know, secure place to go. We get a lot of referrals from those. Um, we get referrals from pretty much anywhere that knows about us, or sometimes women just pass by our door and see the sign and ask us what we do. Um, Law enforcement? Uh, yes, sometimes yeah. from law enforcement uh-huh. or um, maybe one of the clinics in town where people go to seek medical care.
1: One of the things I, I'd like to ask you about, and I, I think I know the answer to it, but when you talk about shelters, a uh, person goes to one of your shelters, these are places that are, you know, they don't have a big neon sign that says, we're a shelter. I mean, you try to keep it uh, uh, not secret, but you try to protect the, uh, the uh, person who's your client yes and from the abuser of tracking them down right right yeah shelters i I don't know where they are and probably nobody else does except you
0: yes (laughs) well we hope that Um, Yeah. yeah the shelters are supposed to be um you know secret locations so that the women can really feel safe and be safe there our um program isn't a secret where we're located um because when a woman comes to our program, she should be past that point really where she's afraid of the abuser finding Mm -hmm. her. And she should also by that time, if she needs to have filed a protection from abuse order and have that on file. So our location isn't secret and it's not secret that women are in our program. However, we do keep our doors locked so that while the women are in our program, um, they do feel safe and secure, and they know that we only are letting people in that, that are supposed to be there.
1: You're listening to Issues 2017 on the Intercom radio stations, and our guest is Karen Schmidt, Executive Director, Wichita Women's Initiative Network. If someone is a DV victim, why don't they just pack up and leave? I'm sure our listeners are thinking, well, hey, they just pack your bags and sneak out of there. So, why
0: don't they leave? And that is a hard thing for people to understand. I bet you understand. hear the question a lot. Yes. Right? I do, so, yes. So why? <laughs> and I used to wonder that, too, before I started working um, with this population. So one of the big reasons is that financial piece. Um, and that is a way that abusers keep women under their control and keep them from leaving. They control all the money, You know, maybe give them a tiny allowance or don't let them have any money. So, the financial piece is a big piece. Um, Also, a lot of our clients have children. So, just feeling like they can leave and handle being a single parent and all the stresses that come with that. There's a lot of fear um, involved in making that big step. And also, just, you know, research shows that when a woman does um, decide to leave and tries to leave, that's when the violence escalates and that's the most dangerous time for them. So, Sometimes, makes
1: sense I didn't think of it but yeah and, that and that's sense. why
0: research also also shows that women leave you know seven eight times and go back before they make that final break and actually leave for good because once they leave then he really the abuser really ramps up that trying to get her back and it's really you know difficult for the woman to stay strong and and stay away I
1: did an interview on this this show a couple of years ago and uh, we had a person who was a victim, and she went on around all the things that this, this guy had done to her and all this and that. And finally, I just asked her, so you've left him, oh, no, I'm, I'm still with him. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing because uh, uh, some women just they can't, they can't get out of there. They, right. they rely on this person, right?
0: And yes, yeah. and the longer that um, a woman is, is in an abusive relationship, the more her self-confidence and her self-esteem are worn down. And, you know, abusers, one of their tactics is to try and convince the woman that they can't, you know, do it without him. They're not smart enough. They're not, you know, they they don't have the talent to go and get a job. They really try and convince their victim that they cannot do it without him. And so they fall for that and, and they really start believing that.
1: Will a domestic violence offender ever change? I don't want to talk about them as the victims, but they, they are, in a way, a victim as well.
0: Right. Um, yeah. They can. Um, there are batterer intervention programs that here in Wichita that um, abusers can attend. And if they attend that program and really work it, and it's a long-term program, it's not just a couple of weeks, if they really put in the effort to um, work the program and you know really be introspective and look at themselves and take accountability, they can change. Unfortunately, not very many abusers do that. How can,
1: how does a person become a DV offender? I mean, I can't picture myself ever doing this with to somebody that I'm close to. Right. But how does... Are they... Brought up in an atmosphere where that's okay, or uh, you know, can you or can you track that? Just, well, sometimes can you explain it, that. To yeah, us?
0: <laughs> sometimes it is that. Sometimes they have grown up in a home where that was the model um, yeah. of a relationship for them, or you know, they may have been in a home where they were abused as children um, and just kind of learned that model of um, this is how we interact with with people we're in a relationship with. Um, I think there are a number of reasons why um i i do believe i don't know as much about the abusers as i do about the the victims or the survivors but i do also believe that um you know even though the abuser is acting like they're you know self-confident and superior really deep down inside they're they're just as insecure as you know the the survivor gets mm-hmm. to be at some point,
1: and another tragic part of this is that there are children involved, yes, and uh, that's probably got to be the worst part of it, yes. The kids are involved and they're being torn up by all this, and they're seeing some ugly things,
0: right? They witness, you know, even if they don't witness um, with their eyes the physical part, they hear. Um, And, you know, that's just as damaging for them to hear, you know, the yelling and the insults and even if they don't see an actual incident. So it is very, um, you know, concerning of what the children are seeing and that then, you know, they can grow up to be that abuser or they can grow up to be a victim. And that's part of why we really do what we do so that hopefully if, if these parents, these mothers can break that cycle and learn how to be in healthy relationships that maybe they can keep their children from growing up to be in an abusive relationship so
1: so when gives a, a, a woman or a victim comes to you and you give them the tools they need which would be anything from what Do you, education a place to stay uh, the whole thing huh uh tell us about that
0: yes Did um you, okay. so it's kind of like a part-time job for our women they come to win 20 hours a week monday through friday and we do actually pay them a wage to help with that financial piece. Um, now, granted, it's not a huge wage, and it's still you know a really tight budget. But we help them with budgeting, um, parenting, you know, life skills, helping them improve their employability through the projects that we bring in. If uh, education is something that they want to you know continue with, then we help them find resources for that, provide tutors. Um, and any services that we can't provide, then our case manager makes referrals to other agencies in Wichita to help them with that. We don't do the housing piece, but we work with a number of programs that have housing programs, um, specifically for domestic violence survivors. So we just, we, We make it really individualized for each woman and help address the barriers that she has to becoming independent.
1: And this is not just, uh, I just want to say one more time, this is not something where somebody is verbally abused. And not just that, not just that uh, this goes on and on, but people have actually lost their lives in these situations. That makes it very serious. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: What educational and funding activities do you promote uh, you know what I'm saying? Fundraising. Tell me about fundraising.
0: Yes. Well. Um,
1: you talked a little bit about uh, the the, celebra- or the celebration. What yes. other things do you do to, to raise funds then?
0: Um, well.
1: Usually somebody has a golf tournament or something.
0: Yeah, we haven't ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, our usual um, annual fundraiser is an event called Divas on a Dime. Okay. And we have our women in our program are actually the divas, so they model and the clothes come from goodwill so that's why they're on a dime so um they actually goodwill donates to complete outfits to our women and we have volunteers that are kind of like personal shoppers and help them go pick out um, different outfits and so it's just a really fun celebration of our women really and they model um you know we have hors d'oeuvres and drinks and auction items and it's it's pretty much a celebration of the women in our program and how they have really become more confident and independent women and that's our our usual annual we did something different this year since it was our 20th but we'll go back to our divas on a dime next year
1: do you uh, do you feel like karen you're making a difference that there are people who are coming through and you're seeing good success stories a lot, some. Uh, are you making a dent, do you think?
0: I think we are. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to say when you do the type of work that we do, like a percentage of how many women are successful because success is measured in a number of different ways. I mean, success for some woman might, you know, be, um, I've earned my CNA certificate and I'm working full-time, You know, success for another woman might be, I earned my bachelor's degree and, you know, I'm going on with a a career in business or something. So it's hard to measure, but as long as we can help a woman become independent um, and meet her goal and what that means for her, then we feel like we've been successful.
1: Do some of these people, I would imagine they go homeless for a time, some of them, right? Some of
0: them do, yes. Um, And sometimes they come into our program With housing, and then something happens and they lose that housing, and so then we're helping them, you know, get into a shelter again or kind of figure out what they can do. But um, that housing piece um, can be really unstable sometimes. Mm,
1: Hey, do you need volunteers?
0: We do need some. I mean, Um, it's not not a a
1: volunteer-intensive thing. Right. We're not a
0: huge volunteer organization. We do utilize volunteers to come in and speak to our women on different topics that they might be an expert in, whether it's parenting or budgeting or nutrition. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, (laughs) We also have volunteers who come and tutor our women. Um, But, yeah, we don't have a lot of volunteer opportunities like some organizations. Tell me
1: about Donations. You like donations.
0: We do. The the big D word. Yes. (laughs) We like, of course, we like monetary donations. However, um, we also accept, you know, clothing for the women or for children. Um, We also have what we call a basic needs pantry and an incentive room. And so we also like donations of, you know, like hygiene products Um, household items that women might need just to set up a new house, you know, um, Mm. apartment because a lot of them leave with nothing except, you know, a few clothes. So um, we like to keep our basic needs pantry and our incentive room as full as we can. And so sometimes we just, you know, ask people, hey, if you can do like a a gift card drive or, you know, a hygiene drive and donate to our um, incentive room or our basic needs pantry, that's great, too.
1: How did you get involved in this? Is that too personal?
0: No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean yeah, I mean,
1: you, when you were a little kid, you probably didn't think you were going to do this no, for a living. No, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: social work is like my, my second career, oh. and I've been in social work since 98, and I worked in the child welfare system for a long time. And then when I was um, getting my master's degree, I did my internship at one of the domestic violence shelters. And I did that because I wanted to do something different than child welfare for my internship. So that's when I first started working with survivors and got really interested in hearing more of their stories and learning more about it. And so... Six years ago, the opportunity for the director at Wynn came up, and I was lucky enough did to be chosen.
1: Got to be some sort of payoff other than they did give, give you a whole lot of money to do this work. Um, uh, you, you find some satisfaction, don't you? Uh, it, every now and then you get that really good story, huh?
0: Yes, yeah, <laughs> and you have to remember those on the hard days when it feels like nothing is going right. Um, but, yes, it is rewarding, and... Um, Like I said, you know, success looks different for a number of, you know, women. And so to us, too, that work in the field, you know, successes are little things. They're not the huge goal always. It's the little things. And so you just have to look every day for the little things and know that people are making progress.
1: Well, listen, thank you for spending some time with us here on The Issue Show. We appreciate the information. And uh, on uh, uh, the – this is – Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and our guest, of course, is uh, uh, Karen Schmidt, Executive Director of uh, Wichita Women's Initiative Network. Thank you again for being with us and spending some time and helping us to understand the situation. That's all for this edition of Issues 2017. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh.